Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first ever episode of Full Metal Tuxedo. Yes, I know that is the single most clever name for a podcast ever. <laughs> My name is Gregory, of course. This is a dawn of a new day, everybody. So this is this is basically going to be our laid back podcast format. Uh, for now, we're going to be streaming these uh, directly onto Armored Gregory the Armored Gregory channel on YouTube for now. And when they are done, we're going to be uploading them to Armored Skeptic More, which is one of my old channels I've renamed it. There should be a link in the description. Uh, check it out. It's uh, arm Right now it's youtube.com slash armored media, but I will be changing that URL eventually. Um, so the point of this show is it's going to be sort of Art Bell-esque, I guess. There aren't a ton of rules. We'll have a few things sort of prepared or at least planned that we're going to be talking about in each podcast. But every, podca every podcast is going to be different. Uh, there'll be episodes where we just straight up talk about Art Bell episodes. And we sort of go over some of the more popular stories. And there'll be other episodes like tonight where we kind of just talk about whatever we want to. Tonight's episode is going to be about Amoa Moa, which was that space rock that I talked about in my last video on the Armored Skeptic channel. Um, and we're going to be talking about a few other interesting, weird space anomalies. Whatever ends up coming up. And we want to encourage audience participation in this so of course super chats are welcome but we're not going to read them all right away we're going to read them at the top of each hour so basically once halfway through the show and then a second time pretty much near the end of the show um just to keep the flow of our conversation kind of on point i'm pretty bad at staying on topic so if one of you has a pretty interesting question i'll just completely forget about what i was talking about um, and, oh, of course, uh, there is an email address associated with this. I'll make sure to put this in the description as well. It is, uh, fullmetaltuxedo at gmail.com, all one word. And if you have any interesting stories or if you have any interesting information that you'd like us to talk about, uh, feel free, please, to... Uh, email to that uh, address and make sure regardless of how you want to format the email you have to type out the story or at least a brief synopsis of what the story is about and if you want to record yourself uh, an audio recording of yourself talking about it just like an Art Bell episode we will play your audio recording on this stream on the podcast and then we will respond to it as we uh, go along so we absolutely look forward to hearing from you. Any kinds of stories that you want included in this, please email them to us. So, of course, I'm sure most of you remember Patrice. Uh, Patrice. Hello, everybody. Oh, sorry. I had you muted for a second. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so Patrice is the mastermind. Well, let's... It's half the mind, half the mastermind behind the, the Tell Me More series. Uh, I've said this before in an earlier stream that's now unlisted, but um, Patrice and I, our conversations, 
basically are what were the birth of the Tell Me More series. We would just talk about conspiracy theories, and we'd talk about the strange and unexplained. We talked about Bigfoot and Mothman for at least a month, easily. And she's been trying to convince me about aliens basically every day ever since for, oh, at least half a year now. Still not convinced. But in my defense, or in her defense, I've been trying to convince her about ghosts, and she is equally as unimpressed by the concept. Um, So there's a lot of back and forth between she and I. Uh, I would definitely say that she's the resident believer, and I'm the resident skeptic. But uh, we have a pretty good dynamic. And I think that uh, that'll translate pretty well into a podcast. And for the most part, what you guys are just going to hear is us just ranting and raving at each other like a couple of lunatics. And I I think that that's entertaining. I have no reason to believe it won't be. Especially for a midnight kind of stream, you know. Just good to listen to two people. (laughs) talk about it's not talk about politics for a bit (laughs) yeah yeah politics i've never heard of politics before Uh, can you explain (laughs) that is there anything interesting in politics that's happened recently i well i haven't yeah i haven't been watching the news no i haven't seen any what is news i don't know i haven't seen anything on the news (laughs) about politics either yeah so it might be refreshing to like talk about (laughs) yeah this this show is pure escapism ladies and gentlemen so please do not try to drag this show down with current events, unless the current events are something wacky or strange or unexplained. Like if another Oumuamua comes through our solar system, absolutely feel free to talk about that. Um, you know, but if it's something to do with American politics, I could not be bothered, please. Yeah, and by the way, that's not censorship either. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. No, we don't intend to, to censor, I mean... I just we 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 just we want <laughs> we want this show to stay positive and happy and we don't want to talk about real world consequences and real world problems right now. I think that there's enough channels on YouTube that talk about that and we just want to give you something fun to think about, something to occupy your mind. And uh I think that anybody if anybody can do that, it's Patrice because every single day she introduces something interesting to me that I'd never thought of before. So I, my gift to you, ladies and gentlemen, is to share Patrice with all of you so that we can all be distracted every once in a while by something interesting. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's very kind of you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, our, our last video on Armored Skeptic was about a Muamua. Um, uh, I'm yeah. I did most of the work on that video, I guess. But usually, Patrice is uh, doing a lot of the heavy lifting behind the scenes on episodes like that. But uh, I feel like I feel like that uh, we need to discuss a Muamua a little bit more. So I talked about the Black Knight satellite, and I basically debunked that. It felt good to get back into the debunky mode. Uh, I know that my audience definitely doesn't like it too much when I try to sell things like I believe them. And a lot of that actually comes from Patrice. Sometimes I'm actually just saying her own words. Um, again, she is the resident believer. But, and that's the reason why they don't like it, because it's <laughs> not 
<laughs> Patrice channel. It's the Gregory channel. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, the the Tell Me More series is definitely going to go back to uh, sort of more the Armored Skeptic form. I'm going to introduce these concepts and explore them. But don't worry, they're not going to be two-parters anymore. I will debunk those concepts right in the video. And um, I think that the last video about the Black Knight satellite and Amoa Moa was a, gave you a little bit of a taste of both, how I can sort of sell a subject, but then I can also debunk it. And so with the Black Knight satellite, there, there is video footage of it. There are plenty of photos of it. People believe that there has been this satellite that has been roaming over the Earth for thousands of years, maybe hundreds of years. Uh, lots of people have sort of amalgamated a lot of different ideas about satellites that have been seen in the sky even before satellites were uh, available. Like the very first man-made satellite in orbit was Sputnik from the Russians. In what year was that? What was it like in the 50s? It was the late 50s or early 60s. But in 1954, supposedly, a couple of satellites had been spotted uh, by the U.S. Navy. And yeah, 19, 1957. 1957. So a good, at least a good five years or four years before Sputnik was uh, launched. However, the person that uh, proposed that, um, I mispronounced his name. You kind of, you jumped down my throat for that. What was his name? Oh, Kehoe. Kehoe. Yeah, Kehoe. Okay. Kehoe. <laughs> I th might have said Keyhole, right? <laughs> <laughs> so John Keogh, but he was actually promoting a UFO book at the time. And though he himself was ex-military and he had been on the news many a time, been interviewed by mainstream media many a time, uh, discussing UFOs and aliens and things like that, uh, people are pretty sure that he was only suggesting that there was a UFO or a uh, satellite in orbit around the Earth before Sputnik just to kind of uh, sell his book and that's something that we see a lot in the media today for example i also did a video as the skeptic character recently talking about the galactic federation and that was being sold to us by a man an israeli uh ex again he was military well technically he was not military he was the secretary of defense for uh or security for israel but he suggested that the uh, Galactic Federation of Planets existed, and he was in the news. There was a, a lot of uh, hype about this. But all of that was actually just to sell a book that he, was, uh, that he had just written and uh, had just been published. Uh, basically, it was like an autobiography, but he put in some, some fruit and spices in there like that to... To really like plump up the interest in it because no nobody wants to buy a book from some random israeli politician but if he's saying that aliens exist oh all of a sudden that's an interesting book right and Amoa moa uh just recently got back into the news as well it had been circulating quite heavily uh in the news in the last month or so uh actually not even in the last week literally just as i was finishing my script for the black knight and Amoa moa a bunch of articles popped up talking about uh, Avi Loeb, who coincidentally is also Israeli, but he is a professor in the United States, as far as I know. 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Harvard. Har- yeah, oh yeah, that's right. Har- that's what the uh, all the headlines were saying. Harvard professor says that Omoa Moa was a discarded piece of alien technology. And, oh, another coincidence, he was also selling a book. And uh, so I find that that's three examples of people who came out to say that, you know, some sort of alien or alien presence uh, was observed or is known or, you know, is, you know, postulated. And meanwhile, they're also trying to sell a book. So if... uh, you know, chances are, <laughs> chances are that's just a coincidence that we found three examples of that. Um, but I, I think that uh, Avi Loeb is not wrong that we can't fully dismiss that possibility because there are a lot of weird, quirky things about a Moa Moa that simply don't fit our understanding of what's possible in nature. So I have a fun little list of coincidences here. Oumuamua, technically, like our solar system is actually huge. If you want to go, you know, if you want to consider it a bubble, even though most of the planets sort of rotate on a disk, um, if you extend that sh- that size of that disk out to a like a perfect sphere, technically Oumuamua has been within the sphere of our solar system since 1837. And a lot, if you want to look up what happened in 1837... That was a pretty crazy year. That was the year that Queen Victoria was put on the throne. Um, God damn. So we got booted <laughs> out twice. Um, the first time I lost my internet and then I think um, my Streamlabs program crashed. And then the second time uh, straight up just stopped working. You didn't get, you didn't get any audio. And uh, so we're just going to do... <laughs> A quick little restart of everything here, um, of course. Uh, so, welcome to the first, e- the first per- perfect, perfectly uh, paced episode of Full Metal Tuxedo. I'm so proud of that name, honestly. Um, you folks, I hope that you remember Patrice. Hi, everybody, for the third time tonight. <laughs> uh, yeah, so. Full metal, full metal tuxedo is, uh, you know, both of our baby here. But um, the whole "Tell Me More" series was really born of our conversations with each other. Um, you know, uh, I'm really into conspiracy theories, the supernatural, the unexplained, things like that. Um, but you know, I'm more into the skeptical side of things. Patrice is the resident believer. I am, and I have a face for radio, so that's the reason why (laughs) (laughs) that Greg presents. (laughs) That's not true. Um, (laughs) That's absolutely not true. Um, But yeah, Patrice has challenged my thinking on a lot of things over the years. Uh, Over the years, over the months. <laughs> and uh, I mean, you know, it's some thinking that I was very dug into over the years. And um, I mean, for example, she's been trying to sell aliens to me for the better part of, you know, six months now, and I'm still not convinced. But in her defense, I've been trying to sell ghosts to her, and she's not convinced. So there's a very good back and forth between the two of us. Uh, but I'm definitely the skeptic, she's the believer. 
Uh, she's a little bit country. I'm a little bit rock and roll. Well, it's the other way around, really, but... <laughs> I mean, like, I've got no problem being Fox Mulder. <laughs> I, you know, it is kind of funny that she is really the Mulder and I'm the Scully, when you think about it. Yeah. Though, Maybe uh... you are... <laughs> You know, yeah, a cute, a cute redhead. Yeah, thank cute you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I look pretty good in uh, government issue heels too, if I don't say no, so it's, myself. It's the shoulder pads in the floor length trench coat. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, the the first episode, like the pilot episode of of X Files, is a pretty good analogy for, you know, uh, the way that we started conversing with each other because. In that episode, Scully just straight up it refuses to believe anything. And then for a split second, there's a moment when she thought she got abducted because she had a mark on her body that was like all the people that got abducted in that little town. And that was me. You know, for a brief second, I believed it. And, uh, you know, just uh, just to remind everybody, uh, if you weren't here for the, the first time that we tried to do this stream tonight... <laughs> um, what I, what I want to do is get audience participation in this. I want this to be similar to Art Bell's Coast to Coast. You know, we want to continue that sort of uh, flavor, that, that tone. Late uh, night radio. Late night radio. These streams are almost always going to be late, uh, partially because, uh, you know, I'm just a night owl. I like being up late. And that works out really well for Patrice, too. And uh, what, you know, obviously you're welcome to give super chats. Those are more than welcome. Uh, thank you to everybody that's already given. Uh, we got Mr. Knightly Priest. He's given a super chat that just said, have money. Thank you very much for that. And Van Flyheight uh, also gave a super chat that said, the Bigfoot video was three months ago. What is time? And it is hard to believe that we've been doing uh, Tell Me More for that long. Um... It all started with the missing 411 video. And Patrice and I have both had a, a brief, you know, moment in time when we both were really into the missing 411 thing, you know, separately. Uh, but I'd say that by now, I, th I think that it's safe to say that we're both sort of over that conspiracy theory. We're not, we're not as... Um, we're jazzed not, about it. Yeah, well, not as jazzed about it. I mean, first of all, there is the problem of it making the tragedy of people going missing and... Uh, uh, get that be right back off the screen. Sorry about that. Um, people going missing and dying, basically turning that into entertainment. That's sort of tasteless. Um, but then also just the idea that, you know, uh, David Polites is trying to make, he's trying to sensationalize a, a series of stories that are very explainable. A lot of them are very explainable. And he mixes them in together with some that are kind of bizarre. Um, I, think, I think that when he first started out like seven years ago and he had that curated collection of stories initially, like that that probably was worth like looking into, but you get to a point where when you've been doing it for seven years or however long it is. He's got like, like, he's got like 13 books barrel. or something like yeah. that now. Yeah, that you hit a yeah. point where, I mean, as any creator, you hit a wall eventually where your, your heart's just not in it anymore or you'd sort of run out of actually interesting stories. Mm. He will um, make some really interesting connections, though, which we've talked about before that, you know, only David Polites can make. But um, at the same time, though, 
Um, I'm, I'm just not as convinced of it now as I was when I first discovered it. But I discovered it through the Art Bell show. Uh, so yeah, to get back to um, how we want this to be the Art Bell show. So uh, your super chats are welcome. If you have any questions or stories or comments or anything like that you want us to read on the air, uh, give us a super chat. That's the fastest way to get it on the air. Uh, we'll read them twice, once halfway through the show, once near the end. This episode's going to be a little bit different because we've already had a sort of a false start. We're going to et- we're going to try to edit this together as one episode when we finally upload it onto uh, Armored Skeptic More, the full metal tuxedo channel. Uh, there's a link. There's going to be a link in the description uh, to get you guys over there. I'm going to be posting um, all the content on the old Armored Media channel from now on. So. Uh, all these streams, they might even, we might even end up transferring these streams over to the Armored Media channel eventually too. I don't exactly know how we're going to do this in the future. And anyways, maybe the best way though, the most fun way to get on to the show uh, will be to email us. So you can email fullmetaltuxedo at gmail.com. That's one word. Fullmetaltuxedo at gmail.com and you have to write out at least a brief synopsis of what your story is about there has to be a subject in the header there has to be a brief synopsis of what your story is about but if you want you can record audio record yourself telling the story and we will play you telling the story on the show and we will respond to it as we're listening to it uh so that is right now the closest way for you to participate in this show like uh, our call-in line that would be our i guess right now our call-in line we might you know change that in the future and also add in the ability to call us through discord or something i'm not sure i haven't been on discord in like four months now (laughs) yeah so and i don't have a ton of interest in going back there so yeah i'm i don't think that that's going to happen anytime soon so I think we should focus right now. Just uh, send your emails to fullmetaltuxedo at gmail.com. If you just want to type it out, we'll read it on the air. But if you want your sexy, sexy voice next to mine and Patrice's, well, uh, yeah, you can record yourself uh, telling your story. Or if you have just like an interesting piece of information or a question or anything like that that you'd like us to discuss on the air, uh, please send it to that email. Um, and of course, but of course, like I said, the fastest way to get on the air is just to send a super chat. Super chats are very welcome. Of course, thank you again, Mr. Knightley Priest and Van Flyheit, for uh, your super chats from your er- from our earlier stream tonight. Hopefully, we ended up getting some of you guys back. We're up to about 136 people as I see it now, so we lost a couple, but uh, it's okay. It's okay. My heart's a little broken that I let you guys down tonight. Um, but anyways, uh, we were talking about a Moa Moa. <laughs> we do, we do have to go over it a little bit, but I don't, I don't want to bore you guys again by saying some of the stuff we already said. So I'm going to try to pick up where we left off. So I was talking about how there's some strange coincidences with a Moa Moa. So it technically entered the bubble of our solar system, uh, in 1837, and that's an interesting year because that's when uh, Queen Victoria sat in the throne for the first time. So that's literally the very beginning of the Victorian era. And that uh, 
if you guys are into conspiracy theories and stuff and you've watched my tinfoil helmet series you'll understand why that era is kind of important um but there's a lot of strange stuff that happened there you're gonna just have to look it up yourself because um we're going to avoid talking about modern politics on this show uh we're gonna run away from them like the plague where there's no way we want to go anywhere near them um so you know this is this show is for entertainment it's for escapism we want to give you things to think about that are fun we don't want to go down you know the route of disparaging you guys against humanity we want to <laughs> uplift you <laughs> yeah we want to uplift you by yeah. talking about interstellar objects hurtling towards the planet yeah well yeah so Omoa Moa just narrowly missed the earth that was uh, one of the things we were trying to talk about last time we tried to restart the stream no audio um, so uh, another interesting uh, coincidence with Oumuamua though is so it passed our sun and started slingshotting out of our solar system around 2017 and that was around the beginning of the start of the grand solar minimum and uh, wouldn't that be interesting if it was an intelligently designed device and they chose our grand solar minimum as their perfect time to slingshot their device through our solar system so that it wouldn't get shot <clears throat> so that it wouldn't get shot by a solar flare um and then of course since it's left jupiter and saturn have kissed for the first time in uh, about 400 years and so they became one star some people were calling it the star of bethlehem which is very interesting and uh yeah so that's a lot of fun that that has happened and i think that it's I think it's not a coincidence either that around the time Saturn and uh, Jupiter met up that the sun developed uh, its first giant sunspot since the, the minimum began and uh, started collapsing down on itself, spewing solar flares everywhere. That's super creepy that happened around the same time. And, of course, also Neptune. Neptune has two storms on it, just like the eye on Jupiter. Uh, and one of the storms, for the first time ever, we've observed that one of the storms has completely changed direction on the planet. It started going in the other direction, which we didn't even think was possible. And that is Do now... Have an explanation? Do they have an explanation for that yet? No, they don't understand why it's happened. We're just... Um... But again, that's all, all has happened since the very first ever interstellar device has been observed. Um from here on earth now patrice uh patrice has some interesting information about um you know don't make me do it again yeah you, you have to do it again, again. <laughs> you you were com we were completely quiet muted the last time so you have to go through all of that again <laughs> okay what part exactly do you think oh right from the beginning when you were saying it, that it, it it its designation is one eye everything uh <laughs> Yeah, so it's the first known interstellar object detected passing through the solar system. I guess that's a point of contention because it doesn't necessarily mean that it is the first ever interstellar object in the solar system, but it's the first one that we've detected. Right. Yes, so it's got the illustrious title of One Eye 2017. And, um, yeah, it was observed 33 million kilometers away and was already heading away from the sun 
Right. So, th- right. So that's an interesting thing that I find about that is that it actually passed very, very close to the Earth, like extremely close, and they were actually surprised <laughs> that it didn't hit us. It was that close, and um, especially since it was hurling at us from another solar system, so 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 far away. Mm. But yeah, we didn't see it until it had already slung shot around the uh, the sun. So. From our perspective, it was almost like the sun just shot it out randomly. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, that's not me breathing in the. Moment. <laughs> yeah, we that's we have a, a we have a dog that's joined us on the stream tonight. <laughs> Hang on, let me sort this out, Greg. You must. Yeah. Okay. No problem. Um. Yeah, so what, yeah, really interesting too is that um, the object's very shiny, way shinier than we expected it to be, and way cooler. So it's not a, it wasn't absorbing well, they're, yeah, heat. They're, they're the things which kind of make it, like there's lots of strange things about them more and more, which make it, like even even the fact that they detected anything at all. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I think the logic was... Um, on the logic was founded in like if it was the same as our solar system the likelihood of it even being detected was basically next to nothing well we only see about 90 we can't see 95% of stuff that's in the sky we can't see it at all because it has to be at a very specific angle where the sun is close enough to it or it's close enough to the sun that it's reflecting enough light to hit us here on the planet but then also on top of that it has to be on a certain angle so that the sun is reflecting light so if it's between us and the sun we generally can't see it and that's why we couldn't see it when it passed us because Mm. it was basically beside the earth not not behind the sun when it first appeared yeah so they say that assuming that other planetary systems resemble the solar system, the pan stars should not have discovered this or any other interstellar rock in the first place. Interesting. But when they did finally see it, they noticed that it was way shinier than they expected. Like, it's ten times shinier than anything we have here in our own system. Um, And what's interesting about that, though, is that they determined that even though it was super shiny, it wasn't hot. So it wasn't absorbing heat. It was reflecting the heat as light. So that's actually, like, so bizarre, which is why so many people think that it was metallic or at least, you know, metallic in nature. Yeah, and it's it's also, it was 10 times, like, the reflectance was at least 10 times higher than um, other solar system asteroids. Right, exactly. I think that that's what's important to note is that it was, you know, and and as well as the shape, the shape of it being elongated. Right, so... Other objects being only three times its width as opposed to this, which they say is between five to ten times. Right, so most asteroids and, and uh, comets that we observe here in our own solar system, they're pretty ball-like you know they might be egg-shaped but they're still pretty ovular ovular or ball-like and um, that's because they tend to melt evenly 
they tend to sort of erode evenly. But Oumuamua, for some reason, they could tell from the way that it was reflecting light that every seven hours or so, it would drastically change its reflective quality. And they determined that that was because it was oblong in shape, ridiculously oblong. It was only about roughly 200 meters wide, yet it was somewhere around 1,000 meters long. So that is a, what? Uh, like a 500 to 1 like ratio. That's ridiculous compared to anything we've ever seen here. So their first imagination of it was that it was um, basically cigar-shaped, um, which I guess is possible. I think that they chose that shape first because it is it made more sense to them. But the more that they observed it, the more that they realized that it was probably more disc-shaped. And I find it so strange that almost nobody depicts it that way, even though... Yeah, like they've a pancake sort of, shape. Pancake shape. Like pancake shape. Yeah, and the artist's rendition of it, the one that I showed in my video, it almost looks like the Millennium Falcon. They even put a little crater in the middle, right where the gun turret would be. Um, mm. But it's it's pretty much like a shiny, metallic-looking disc. Mm. And you had and something... they say that the tumbling motion says that it's at the highest excitation state expected. So it's basically at... As they would say, it's at terminal velocity now. It's spinning as quickly as it could possibly spin. Mm. Right. So if that is an intelligently designed device, chances are it's wildly out of control, which is why it's safe to say that it's probably gar space garbage, just like uh, Avi Loeb says. I don't know. It's like space garbage, though. That doesn't explain the deviation. What like deviation? When it moved. When it moved. Okay, so, okay. When and it finally slung... When yes. it slung shot around the, the planet of the Earth, you mean, or it slung shot around the sun, you mean that it sped up. Yeah, but it also, you know, the trajectory changed by a tenth right. of a percent. Right. So that's not meant to happen either. Right. So, yeah. So it did speed up, but it also changed trajectory yeah. as well. So that screams intelligent design because and and also like the outgassing doesn't explain it because right. they would have assumed that there would have been some kind of comment tail right so i was gonna i was gonna say that yeah um you know there <laughs> no please please go for it <laughs> yeah it would have, for that deviation to occur and for that speed to to speed up it would have need to have like lost about 10 percent of its mass right so what, that would have 100 percent left a comet tail yeah so, so what in lack of that yeah what options do we have and that's where that rv lobes yeah so what she's saying is that um we didn't observe a tail like we'd normally observe from a comet it and it's possible that it was just because of our distance but nobody ever said anything about a tail and you know you would assume that we'd see something um and their explanation for how it sped up was that there was uh, hydrogen gas trapped under the surface that released once it got close to the sun, and it essentially worked like thrusters, pushing the object faster out into deep space. And the problem with that is not only did we not see any outgassing, but we didn't see the object change shape or size at all, which is very typical for a comet. Uh, comets usually 
lose a lot of weight once they get close to the sun. The, the tail itself, when we see a comet go by our sky, the reason we see that tail is because the sun is melting it and forcing the hydrogen gas off of the surface of that uh, comet out into space and it dissipates in like a very beautiful tail shape. And we never saw anything like that from a Muamua. We should have seen that actually coming out across our own skies, you know. And maybe if it did have a tail that was just very hard to see and detect and we didn't see it, it is possible that, you know, the Earth ended up passing through its tail and we just didn't even notice. But, um, yeah, its behavior, one of the explanations, one of the possibilities that they came up with was that Oumuamua was entirely comprised or mostly comprised of hydrogen. Um, but that, that explanation doesn't hold up because there's no way even in deep space for something that's entirely hydrogen to form, even faint sun, uh, starlight from great distances would still melt it and force it to sort of not, not uh, combine. There's um, an, an interesting theory that it was a bunch of little particles that sort of formed in a disk because the way that the object was spinning, sort of like the way a snowflake forms in like a disk, they said that it's possible that this thing formed sort of like a, a snowflake. Uh, but that's sort of a hard theory to sort of get behind um, because, it, like we said, it was spinning. So that's very unlikely. And then the most popular theory, uh, the one that most astronomers seem to go with, is that it's a byproduct of an old dead uh, star system that basically the, the sun went supernova and ejected all of the planetary debris out into space. And... That is a two birds with one stone explanation because it both explains how it's basically shaped like rubble. It's shaped like garbage. It's not shaped like something that formed and more like something that got broken. But then also explains how it ended up getting ejected out in deep space and making its way here at all. Because, uh, but I guess the one explanation that I would like to throw out here is if you want to take its name into uh, consideration, Oumuamua, the messenger that came first, or uh, the scout that came first. Uh, it's possible that there is something much bigger and scarier on its way, and it's what sent it towards us. So there might be a large planetary body or a large star heading towards our star that we can't see. Well, that's what probably is most frightening to me, like using that logic that it's coming out quicker than anything that we've seen before like it's unusually shaped like what else is coming right because every star system in that we know of like 90 percent of star systems that we know of uh, have at least a binary star meaning there's two stars two suns and our solar system is the only one that we know of that doesn't <laughs> doesn't have a second so a lot of people have played around with the idea of a planet x or uh, like a an eighth or a ninth planet or whatever that nobody really knows about that uh, nobody can see because it's essentially a dwarf star that isn't lit and it isn't emitting any infrared or ultraviolet light so we can't pick it up and they've postulated that that's how comets from the kyber belt uh, which is the belt like a, a, a belt of asteroids that exists on the outer edge of our solar system they're saying that it's sweeping through the outer edge of our solar system and they're they're seeing its effects they're seeing the way that it affects the gravity of neptune and uranus and that um they're pretty sure that there is something out there and that it might be what is shooting 
comets at us as it's passing through the uh, Kuiper belt. It, you know, comets are getting caught in its uh, gravitational well, and then it's shooting them at us. And Oumuamua, since we know for sure that it came from outside of the solar system, we might be dealing with yet another dwarf star in our midst that is either passing close to us or coming towards us. And if that's the truth, then the entire solar system is in dire straits right now. Mm. So you were mentioning its color too. We forgot to get to that. Yeah, they say that it's like a red color from irradiation from deep space. So I find that really interesting. So it's like a elongated oval shape, red shiny object. So like a red Millennium Falcon. <laughs> uh, when I first heard that like it was... The Baltic, like the Baltic sea UFO, right. perhaps? Maybe, yeah. It is very surprisingly similar to the Baltic sea UFO, I do have to admit. Um, but when I first heard red, my mind went to like Mars, it went to Prince Edward Island. I was thinking like iron like uh, oxidated iron but i guess if it is like a deep space object it doesn't make a lot of sense that it would oxidate but it does cosmic rays but if it is like sort of metallic in nature which it seems very likely that it has a high metallic uh composition it might be iron because a lot of asteroids uh, that we know of have a good deal of iron and i think even there's some comets that we've seen that have iron content in them so I guess if they're getting irradiated out in deep space, um, that makes a lot of sense. The Voyager, the first Voyager uh, probed across the outer edge of our solar system just happened a few years ago. And they noticed just on the out outer edge of the solar system that um, uh, like our sun creates a wind, a solar wind that pushes outwards towards all the planets, towards the outer edge. But then when it passed that bubble, that edge, of our sun's solar wind, it found an even more tumultuous, more powerful, what seemed like uh, interstellar solar wind. Um, and they called it a wall of fire, which is a bit dramatic. But uh, what it shows, though, is once you leave our solar system, the radiation is much worse than it is when you leave. And the, we, the Earth itself also has a bubble. The electromagnetic field that we have I'm sure many of you have heard of the uh, radiation belt that exists just outside of the Earth. The Apollo astronauts would have had to have passed through it on their way to the moon. Um, what do they call that again? I feel like an idiot for not remembering. Van Allen, the Van Allen belt. So the Van Allen belt is essentially like a double blanket layer of radiation it itself is super radioactive but what it is is a, a blanket that protects us from the radiation of the sun so once you leave the van allen belt the bubble of the earth you then end up in a pretty highly irradiated area which is one of the problems that uh, astronauts that are going to go to mars have to deal with is they have to figure out a way to properly line their spacecraft to protect them from radiation otherwise they'll die before they even get to mars just from radiation but then once you pass th that radiation belt out into the outer solar system, it's apparently like 10 or 20 times even worse. So interstellar um, uh, craft, you know, would have to have a thick lead lining, basically. So, yeah, there's a lot of radiation out there. So I guess that explanation makes a lot of sense. You know, that's that same 
principle of radiation that that's the other basically in extraterrestrial which is the new book which has come out that's that's kind of the theory that they're pushing that it was the solar sail theory right um because if the cometary outgassing is real out and in the inferred excess force is real the only possibility that remains is an extra push due to radiation pressure from the sun right so that's the scariest one so yeah and that is that's what then you know leads it to being something artificial something intelligently Where, designed yes yeah but it doesn't necessarily mean like i think what frightens me the most is that it is an artifact mm-hmm. that it is a, it's either deactivated or dead in some way dead yeah but that it's still working in in its function like because if a sailboat loses its crew that doesn't mean that the sails stop working you know that's Mm. that there's the whole concept of ghost ships like empty ships float around the ocean all the time back in the day and that's you know they would lose their crew but the sails would stay up and it sort of just aimlessly float around the ocean being pushed this way and that and it's possible that that's what we're seeing with this device which is like you know the fact that it was tumbling so wildly is definitely an argument that um it wasn't active that it, it was like a, a ghost ship as it were but the fact that it accelerated so much when it left our sun leads people to believe that possibly it did employ some form of solar sail technology which would also explain why it was already moving so quickly when it got here mm. so yeah so mm. yeah the sol- the solar sun uh, solar sails basically work under the principle that uh, all that solar wind that I was talking about before, the solar radiation that blasts out from the sun to the outer edge of the solar system, um, there is, we actually have already, apparently, I said that it was a hypothetical type of technology in the video, but apparently they've already uh, been running tests on this technology. Um, I think the Japanese, the Japanese did something. Yeah, didn't they? There's, a, there's satellites, uh, at least two of them. There's at least two satellites in uh in our solar system right now that use solar sails and they're saying that it's actually promising so um i don't know the exact tech the exact material that they use now uh, they usually depict it as being very uh, gold looking in nature for some reason in the artist renditions of these but i mean we can't but it always... has to be very thin like a millimeter yeah, it has to be ridiculously thin yeah and and but it will still hold up to um uh like like ions and things like that being shot through it right and that yeah exactly so i mean yeah you're dealing with something that basically rides a wave of radiation um Mm. which sounds dumb if you had introduced an idea like that a hundred years ago you would have laughed out of the room but we literally have like proven that this kind of thing exists i think even in uh star wars uh episode two attack of the clones uh, Count Dooku even takes off in a shuttle that a giant sail appears in front of it. And um, that was George Lucas's sort of nod to the concept of solar sail technology. Um, mm-hmm. So we know that it's possible. So everything that a Muamua has done is very hard to explain with our understanding of nature, but very easy to explain with our understanding of technology. Yeah.
That being said, though, the sceptical arguments against it and people believing that it is just a rock, I think are quite strong too. Because it travels at um, 26 kilometres a second, meaning it would take over 18,000 years to even travel one light year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it would have taken a minimum of 50,000 years to get here, even if it came from the closest solar system. And mm -hmm. so you have to propose that also some extreme form of like deep sleep uh hyperbolic chamber style technology exists that allows people to sort of um it might i mean if people were to be on that ship they would have to figure out a way to survive fifty thousand years and that's just to get here but it'll take them another fifty thousand years plus to get to their actual destination if we were just a pit stop along the way the other um, kind of terrifying idea is that it could have been shot at us. Right, right. So, you know, we're going straight for, uh, <laughs> yeah, going straight for, uh, you know, the bugs are trying to attack us from another planet <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. So, the, and th that's the thing is that's not even that terrible uh, a concept, or not even that ridiculous a concept, because like I said, it did get very close to the, our planet. It, it almost hit us before it went to the sun. Mm. Well, maybe it was meant to hit the sun. I don't know. That, I mean, if, if it was like a some sort of a explosive device, I guess that would make sense. But, uh, but with, with that kind of tumbling, like if it was literally like propelled out, mm -hmm. would that explain that tumble even? Yeah, so the tumble itself, I think, is an argument for it being artificial because it's very hard to believe that if something that was intelligently designed uh, was sent towards us intentionally with the purpose of slingshotting around our, our sun to get a little speed boost to go to its next location, it doesn't make a lot of sense that it would be tumbling that quickly because anything that's on there, any any kind of equipment, uh, it would be experiencing extreme g-forces from that tumble and there's no logical reason for that you wouldn't want well i don't know how it'd be that extreme it wasn't tumbling that quickly to be honest but it was fast enough that mm. you know it definitely didn't seem like it was an intentional tumble it wasn't like like a football you want to make a football spiral right because it cuts through the air faster maybe a spin like that would make more sense but if we're talking about a, a coin it's tumbling or flipping or a cigar that's sort of aimlessly tumbling there's no logic to that no except except maybe artificial gravity if there's things on it that you know because that's like a babylon 5 concept where ships would have spinning uh sections on mm. it so that you know if you were on the outer edge of that spinning section you would experience an artificial gravity from centrifugal force yeah or it could even like it's you know, it reminds me almost of the concept of like a Dyson sphere. There was that star, I think it was like, it was called Tabby's star, that they it had a regular, it was irregular, And that was one of the first ones, which they, one of the first stars that they considered could potentially have artificial life on it. Cause I thought it was, it could have been a example of a Dyson sphere. Yeah, so a Dyson sphere, that's a really fun concept. A Dyson Sphere is essentially a hypothetical, um, intelligently designed device that is built around a star. And hypothetically, 
uh, people could live on the Dyson sphere, but the concept of it is that you essentially encapsulate partially or entirely a star with this device and it captures the solar energy. And it's essentially endless free energy to power your society. But then you also sort of have to live on the Dyson sphere because any planet outside of it would then be uh, receiving a muted uh, level of radiation and, and light from that sun at that point. So uh, that's usually a sign of a civilization that's like very, very advanced, very advanced, because you think about the amount of material you would need to sort of uh, build something around a star. Um, it's that just be an absolutely astronomical uh, undergo, uh, you know, the the Death Star from Star Wars is nothing compared to a Dyson Sphere. It's nothing compared to a Dyson Sphere. Um, a Dyson Sphere, we're talking like millions of Death Stars worth of material. Millions of them built around a star. Yeah, so there was um, the Tabby Star in 2015 was discovered by um, astronomers and citizen scientists. And they saw unusual light fluctuations from the star, including it, including up to a 22% uh, dim in brightness. So okay. they, that's what made people start talking about that again and the possibility of that. What's so the maybe they, what's know, the connection with the Muamua then? What, they can hear me. What's the connection with the Muamua then? What's, um, what is, is just it? how the fluctuations of like that that's you know they've never actually seen them more and more they could only see how the light was reflecting off every, of it yeah. every seven hours yeah so it was kind of like like how you were saying if there was some kind of centrifugal force mm. that was making it appear like it was well you know, you, like you say creating an artificial gravity well, it's interesting you say that then because yeah we're only assuming that it's because it was tumbling was the reason that the light was so irregular. And then that's why we decide that it was disc shaped or, or sausage shaped as it were. But what if mm. it was irregular in its reflection of the light, because that's a function of it as an intelligently de designed device that it absorbs light and then reflects it depending on how it needs it. And the closer it was getting to the sun, the less light it needed. So it kept fluctuating rapidly. Mm. I don't know, it's like you could imagine all kinds of different meanings, and especially if it's a technology that you've never known. Yeah, that's such a good point. Or what if it was even just camouflaged? Well, so that's, that's the ultimate argument. So Neil deGrasse Tyson, the resident um, wet blanket, um, <laughs> says that, you know, there's no reason for us to believe it's intelligently designed, which is what he says every time you know, a UFO is seen in the news when the Tic Tac and that uh, To The Stars Academy uh, UFO release video came out. He was going around to different news stations saying, just because you don't know what it is doesn't mean therefore aliens. And he's right, but yeah, I mean... Speculation is an evidence. Right, but the, the, the problem is, though, with Oumuamua is we literally are dealing with something that is not from our solar system. It is literally alien so the question is is it intelligently designed or not and you know with the evidence that we have it's really hard to place this thing in nature but that might just be our own limitation because we only know our own neighborhood we don't know what the rest mm -hmm. of the universe is like we might be 
an extremely atypical solar system. We might be ridiculously atypical, um, for all we know. And I mean, there's there's lots of weird quirks, like uh, the fact that most moons, for example, around most planets that we know of, are extremely tiny compared to the planet. Yet our moon is extremely large, and it's per the perfect size and shape to completely cover our sun in um, a solar eclipse. And we, as far as we know, there's no other planet in the universe that has solar eclipses. So the fact that, you know, that's our experience, that's very weird. You know, that's an argument that creationists would usually use to say that we're a designed uh, society or a designed planet. But, you know, people that believe in aliens also think that that's a sign that this, the moon was placed there for us, that, it's, that the moon itself is artificial. Um, but what was I saying with that? <laughs> Is, uh, yeah, Neil deGrasse Tyson, um, of course, doesn't want to believe that Oumuamua was intelligently designed. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't, really don't know how to explain how it sped up and sort of changed direction the way that it did when it left. That shouldn't have happened. Yeah, some people, some people talk about it being hollow inside. Mm, interesting. And maybe that like could have could have been a reason why it sped up when it left, like slowed down and then sped up. Hmm. Yeah, I don't understand but the physics of that. I don't either. <laughs> you know, but that's just. <laughs> I guess what's going to end up happening is hopefully our technology advances to a stage where we can actually send people to a more more to find out what it is. Right. If you believe well, that we haven't already been there. Well, okay. So there are. There <laughs> Should we take a break and then um, come back on that note? Yeah, we'll take a, uh, a couple minutes <laughs> on a break here, and then uh, we'll come back to talk about uh, the possibility of there being a secret space program and people that have claimed that they know about human beings that have already visited a muamua and have taken a uh, an audit of what it is and what's in there. They believe, of course that it was intelligently designed. <laughs> All right. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, just to go over the Super Chats really quick. Um, B. Carswell says, play with me. Play here with me, Gregory. Okay. <laughs> Aaron Chandler says, Belta Lauda. Oh yeah, that's a that's a sci-fi reference. You gotta look that up. Belta Lauda, we people of the belt. Uh, RM says sent an email. Still wanted to give a little money. Oh, thank you. We actually got your email, buddy. So thank you. Uh, we're actually gonna read that in two seconds here. And uh, Jaximus Prime Rib, that's a hilarious name, says, "Hey brother, been following your work here for a long time." And I just wanted to say thanks for all the laughs and awesome content. Oh, thank you very much. P.S. I left your your beer under the bench in Victoria Park. Go find it before the kid does. Cheers. Oh, yeah. He said he was going to give me some beer the other day. I actually remember that. But not because I recognize the hilarious name, but I recognize the uh, hilarious avatar. So uh, thank you. I'm going to go to Victoria Park tonight. <laughs> Hopefully that beer is still there. I'll be very mad if it's gone. Um... So yeah, uh, Patrice is actually going to read the email for us here. 
Okay, so I was skeptical of UFOs until I saw what I believed to be one when I was driving home from work in the early hours of the morning. No one believed me until I got validation. A light came out of the back of it and shot the opposite way. The secondary light was going too fast and appeared to be, uh, was going too fast to be a piece of comet falling off. Keep up the good work. Love to you both, Ronan. And I'll read the newspaper article that he sent me as well. Oh, excellent. So it was a UFO spotted over Northern Ireland. Footage of what some believe to be a UFO in the sky over Northern Ireland have been shared on social media. The footage was recorded on a dash cam by Sandy Laverty of the public as they drove to work in the Cloifen Code in Chlorine on Friday the 9th at 6.44am. Sandy described the footage as showing a bright object shoot across the sky. Three minutes later, a British Airways pilot fly, flying over uh, Kerry in the Republic of Ireland reported seeing a very bright light at 6.47am. The pilot reported that the objects had come along from the left side of the aircraft before it veered rapidly to the north. The Irish Aviation Authority has confirmed it is investigating reports of bright lights and UFOs spotted off the southwest coast of the Republic of Ireland. I think I actually uh, heard about that UFO sighting just the other day, believe it or not, maybe even just like two days ago. And mm. somebody was describing the objects that were coming off of it, saying that it looked like molten metal that was dripping off of it or something like that. But, I mean... Um, That's something... Do you know, that that was... Um, people said that in the Rendlesham Forest case. Oh. And I think also that... Were you talking about the... When you were saying like the red object, when you were talking about that island, were you talking about the UFO that dripped metal onto the boat and, and killed the dog? No, I, no, you're going to have to explain that one. <laughs> Let me see if I can find well, it. So that I totally came out of left field. The story. Were you yeah, talking? I just remember. <laughs> I've never heard that before. I just remember it because I was of the dog. Like, that oh, yeah. would be absolutely. Well, yeah, that's, Could you imagine just being I'm never going to forget that story. Just minding now. your own business. And a UFO comes out of nowhere and kills your dog. Yeah, I remember every UFO encounter that involves a dog dying. As soon as you start with that exactly. detail, right. it'll be melted into my mind forever. I'll never yeah, forget it. I want to make a, a list of movies that have the dogs dying in it so that people, so I just don't ever watch those movies because yeah. I don't need that negativity in my life. That is actually like a, uh, <laughs> a to go off on a total tangent here, that's actually like an unwritten <laughs> rule in movies is you never kill the dog. Yeah, and um, very few movies do that. Like, and then even then, it's only horror movies. I care like, more about dogs than I care about people. Yeah. You can kill the baby. You can kill the children. <laughs> you can kill the wife. You can kill the mother. You can kill the grandma. You know that's going to be a soundbite now. Dude. <laughs> but you can never kill the dog. Otherwise, you go to to uh, movie hell. You you know that that is an unwritten rule in Hollywood. You never kill the dog. Mm. Hang on a minute. If you remember Independence Day, even uh, when that UFO was blasting, all the UFOs were blasting major cities all across the United States, and the dog Boomer, oh, he lived. Boomer almost died. He, he, he almost got hit by that wall of fire, but he made it into the, the utility closet just in time. Boomer lived. Even the aliens are not allowed to kill your dog. That is just... Oh, it's the Maury Island incident. Maury Island incident. Interesting. Let's just have a and it was a red UFO. Okay. So it was red well, red just like a muamua, was it? 
Um, no, we were talking about the dripping of the metal. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it was... Chrisman and Dow claimed to Arnold. This is... So, it's speculate... What are, most of what is speculated comes from a report by Kenneth Arnold, an aviator who had claimed to see several UFOs in the area around the time uh, in the in the first UFO sightings ever recorded in the modern era. So this happened in 1947. Excellent. And right, ap- right around the same time as the Roswell crash. That was 47 as well. Yeah, so... Chrisman and Dow claimed to Arnold that they were a harbour patrolman on a work boat near Maury Island and that they saw six donut-shaped objects in the sky. According to the men, one of the objects dropped a substance that resembled lava or white metal onto their boat, breaking a worker's arm and killing a dog. Dahl also claimed he was later approached by a man in a dark suit and told not to talk about the incident. Uh, classic men in black story. Yeah. But, yeah, the the objects coming off and out of UFOs, that's where we were going with that. Did I read the super chats from Mr. Knightley Priest and uh, Van Fly Height? I think I did, but I'm a little worried that I was muted or that the that was when the stream wasn't working. So mm-hmm. thank you. Thank you again, Mr. Knightley Priest, who said, have money. <laughs> oh, yeah, and then Van Flight said the Bigfoot video was three months ago. That's right. So I definitely read those. Yeah, it is amazing. Um, yeah, I mean... I could talk about Bigfoot every day, all day. We almost do, though. <laughs> don't we? It's surprising that Bigfoot does. It probably comes up At least once more a week. Often. Yeah, more often than regular people's conversations, I'm sure. I think that might be if you want to do a Venn diagram of the conspiracy theories and stuff that we both believe Bigfoot is at the center of it. It is the one thing that you and I both entertain the most. Yeah, I really want to see one. I don't even care if it doesn't add up like in science and any of that. Like people have all their like, I just want to see one. And if I see one, all science aside, I'd believe. I'm pretty sure that you only see it if it wants you to see it. I don't think that there's, I don't think, like even Les Stroud. But I don't want to. I don't want to be like terrified and then see it. I just yeah. want to see it. Even Les Stroud, though, like I've said um, before, that I think that there's a connection between ghosts, aliens, and Bigfoot. Like I don't think that they're separate phenomenon, and. Um, People that I mean, it makes the most sense. People want to believe that it's just like a, a, you know, an ape man or like a gorilla man or uh, it could be like basically like a devolved version of a human, some something that's natural, something that has evolved itself here on the planet, um, something that's kind of like a giant Australopithecus sort of deal. Um, some sort of a hominid basically is what i'm getting at but there's other people though with the way that they talk about it being so elusive like it's here and then it's not um you see Mm. the way that it affects trees and it leaves footprints but nobody ever actually sees it it screams and makes noise and scares the hell out of them but you just can't get your eyes on it and then just like like just like ghosts how people say that they see orbs floating around when they see ghosts or when there's ghost activity 
same thing with Bigfoot is quite often UFOs or floating orbs are also uh, seen at the same time as Bigfoot. And that was another thing that tied it together with Mothman is there was in the Mothman story, people said that they saw UFOs flying overhead when Mothman was visible as well. See, um, in the Survivor Man Bigfoot episode yeah, that was... he did in, in Clem 2, yeah. that's they, uh, the First Nations people of that town believe that it's like a spiritual being. Right. And I think that there, there, you know, if there might be something to that, if Bigfoot is real, if we necessitate its existence, I don't think that we can say that it is like a physical ape person because, um, so Les Stroud, you know, the survivor man, um, that's what I was going to get at is that he's very interested in the Bigfoot. He's got a whole series specifically about Bigfoot now. And, uh, you know, we've watched even some of his director's commentaries. He's, you should check out his YouTube channel. Uh, I don't know what he calls it. Les Stroud, maybe? I think, I think it's just Les Stroud. Or Survivor Man, something I'm like that. I'm pretty sure that he's well-known enough if you Google. If you put it yeah. in, Les Stroud is going to come But up. he's done director's commentaries on some of his Bigfoot episodes, and they're very interesting. And the way that he talks about it, um, I actually like really respect his approach to it because it's very similar to my approach, or our approach, I should say, to the Tell Me More series, where you can't just dismiss something that somebody says just because you don't really like it if it doesn't make sense to you you can't just make fun of somebody because it doesn't change the fact that that experience was very real to them so if well that's what i mean i think that a good presenter like he's a presenter mm -hmm. it's less about what he thinks and it's more about what someone's experienced but in yeah right? in the first one the first director's commentary that you and i watched together you know, he said if somebody comes up to him in a party and is like, hey, man, do you believe in Bigfoot? He says the conversation is immediately over. But if you come up to him and you ask him like genuine questions about what he's experienced and what he, other people think, then then you've actually spark, sparked a conversation with him. So if you go at him with, you know, with a genuine interest in what he believes, uh, you know, he'll be interested in talking to you about it. And that's sort of the same approach he takes with the people that he talks to. And he spends, he's Canadian, so he's, he spent a lot of time uh, in the west coast. of. He's actually from Ontario, uh, which is my province here. But he spends a lot of time in the west side of Canada where, um, you know, that actually seems to be where the Bigfoot are, are most common in the United States, too, is the west coast. In the island, yeah. the island chains basically along the coast and then uh, some of the mountains in that area as well. Um, That's where I think they all are now. Well, I think they're yeah. in Seattle. I think so too. I, th I think that they're like uh, an island that they, yeah, they prefer the islands out there. And then, uh, you know, or, or the deep, the deep uh, forest in the Rocky Mountains as well. Um, I mean, apparently there's Bigfoot here in Ontario. Their feet aren't really that big. I don't, I th actually <laughs> don't think they're even bigger than mine, but they're definitely, they're, <laughs> it's just some barefoot guy walking around. <laughs> Yeah, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, apparently there's Bigfoot here as well. Apparently they're everywhere. But the deep, the strongest concentration of them seems to be out there. I and mean, the natives have been talking about Sasquatch. I don't really like calling them Bigfoot, to be honest. I feel like that's a little lowbrow for me. I like Sasquatch. Yeah. But, I mean, there are a million different names for them. And technically, there are they're not all the same thing. Um because uh, some of them even have like drastically different shaped feet, which would mean that they're not the same species even. Um, but 
Um, so the way that Les Stroud describes them, though, even in one of his um, stories, he de- he says that he went out Bigfoot hunting, and he was trying to a- attract their attention, and he couldn't. But then, all of a sudden, he saw two orbs floating through the trees right in front of him, like two glowing orbs in the pitch black, and that's really interesting. And um, people will like in his uh, show, they'll tell stories about. Uh, um yeah they'll they'll tell stories about like the elusiveness of this thing that it'll be right at the tree line that it'll sort of be communicating to somebody in the group telepathically and then some it'll ask them to go up and talk to it and they'll go up and talk and nothing will happen but then all of a sudden a tree will just fall down or get pushed looks like it gets pushed down right in front of them but they don't see anything actually pushing it over so either they're like master camouflagers or they are sort of like aliens or ghosts in that they can sort of phase in and out of our reality, however you want to put it. They're, they're you know, extra dimensional beings or they're non-physical beings or something like that. But um, anyways, Les Stroud, the Survivor Man, has had some very interesting experiences. Um, yeah, and there's, uh, you know, a lot tying those things together. I think ghosts, aliens, and and uh, Bigfoot. Um, so yeah, we were gonna talk about oh, ha- yeah. how there's a secret space program apparently. <laughs> so on exopolitics.org, uh, this is not an endorsement of this website. I'm pretty sure this website is mostly filled with nonsense, and there's probably even political stuff on here that is probably really terrible. That again. I do not endorse. I'm just reading this one article because I find it kind of fun and interesting. It uh, says... It's probably n- guaranteed to have some kind of political... Oh, yeah. When it says it's it's exo... What is it? Exo- Exopolitics.org. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, it's because I've only just learned about I politics today. I think it's safe, it's safe to assume. Yeah. Well, I just... Yeah, I guess. You've only just learned. I only learned what politics were today for the first time. Yeah, so. well, don't turn on the news. <laughs> Yeah, I don't even know what that means. I don't know what news is. I'll I'll learn what that is tomorrow. (laughs) Navy insiders corroborate, corroborate secret Antarctic space fleet. (laughs) (laughs) Corroborate. I did that once in a video and everybody Not a scaled, are you? I'm not a scaled. Um... I don't have a li- I don't have like a speech impediment, for, but for some reason, every time I say corroborate, I say corroborate, <laughs> like a five-year-old boy. So, in Navy insiders corroborate secret Antarctic space fleet and mission to Oumuamua. So the story here is basically that a secret space uh, program exists that they operate out of Antarctica, and we are doing an episode on Antarctica pretty soon, and. I really cannot wait to do that episode because I love all the theories around Antarctica because it is such an enigma on this planet. Um, We've got so many fun episodes coming. Oh up. yeah, so I'm many. Really excited. The crop circles one is going to be really good too. So really good. Navy insiders corroborate secret space. Yeah, to a Momoa. So written by Doctor Michael Sala. Ooh, a doctor wrote this, so it must be true. He's this, been on Ancient Aliens a fair few times. Yeah, so he's a real doctor. Uh, from, <laughs> this was posted February. The medical t- doctor like Stephen Greer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. The, I almost want to do a whole episode on Stephen Greer, though I have a feeling that that'll just destroy his ego. Um, 
So this is February 22nd, 2019. Um, a former Navy SEAL and Marine Corps Specialist Operator have been revealed, or have just revealed in an interview, their knowledge of the secret space fleet that operates out of Antarctica, which flew a landing mission to the recent interstellar visitor to our solar system, Oumuamua. They were interviewed by veteran UFO researcher Linda, Mol Linda Moulton Howe, who just released their startling testimonies to her YouTube channel live stream on February 20th. And there's a link to that, but the video is currently set to private, so I don't know if that's her disassociating with this or if she just doesn't like the story anymore, but she doesn't usually private her uh, streams. So Linda Moulton Howe, this is actually somebody that uh, Patrice, well, she didn't introduce. Yeah, she's actually quite a, she's quite a nice lady. Patrice likes Linda a lot. And uh, I've been following Linda f only for a couple years now. And the first time that I heard about her was when I was actually doing my UFO series that I did a little while back. I did a three-parter. And it is like mostly a scathing skeptical uh, breakdown of what I don't really like about the UFO community. Um, so I, I feel like that series is going to be a uh, stumbling block for us if we ever try to get in contact with her in the future. But uh, I didn't go after her personally. Luckily, we didn't. I, we didn't go after her work in that series. She's like OG though UFO. Mm. Like she's been looking into it since the seventies, starting with like cattle mutilation. Right. Yeah. So she's ca cattle mutilation she's expert, crop circle expert, she's a professional. Yeah. She's a professional. She's a. She is a legitimate journalist. journalist yeah. Yeah, and but she's very professional. If you watch any of her streams, like mm -hmm. they are like it's like mastery to watch her streams. I'm actually, the way that I'm actually really engaged. impressed with mm. her uh, presentation skills. She's able yeah. to continue a stream of thought and then properly transition to a new subject with like no. She doesn't. She doesn't um or awe ah or say like, which I'm sure I've done a, a million times already tonight. Uh, she's very, very, very uh, personable, too. She's really good um, at sort of drawing you into her. and But, yeah, she's been around forever. Um, and she also, she was on Coast to Coast before it was Coast to Coast. Like she was friends with Art Bell yeah. for a long time. Even before Coast to Coast started, the early 90s, she was doing things with him and giving him updates yeah i just mentioned that on my recent vlog on armored gregory my art the art bell follow-up that linda moulton howe has been on his show a million times that there was a, a period of time there where she was on the show almost every week mm. um, so basically because we for the research for the crop circle um story the crop circle episode that's coming up i reached out to her and um she gave me some good pointers on what to look up and where to look so i'm appreciative of that Go yes straight to the source. oh yes thank you thank circle queen yeah thank you for the feedback uh, linda of course um <laughs> so how had pro previously released part one of her interview with spartan one a former navy seal described that's his code name spartan one a former navy seal described entering an octagon shaped structure covering approximately 62 acres near the uh, Beardsmore Glacier in Antarctica. His account of what he witnessed 
and his mission there is described in an er my earlier article. Uh, I'm not stop plugging yourself, dude. Um, I love these um, websites that just link you to other articles in the website for the ad yeah. money. Okay, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna have to skip some of this article because it's him just talking about his own articles from earlier. Um. So, okay, uh, Spartan One revealed uh, that for the last decade, he had worked with an official from the U.S. Cyber Command whose eighth floor office in, is responsible for conducting trade with extraterrestrial races. The official, whose first name is Kim, told Spartan One and two of a secret... And two, oh, there's a Spartan two as well. And Spartan one and two about his secret mission to Oumuamua, the interstellar object that sparked scientific speculation due to its unusual cigar shape and how it accelerated as it began leaving our solar system, which Howe described in her live stream session. Spartan two then dropped a bombshell when he said, quote, we got con confirmation that our buddies landed on Oumuamua like months before anybody. He says like in this quote. That's amazing. So I'm not the only one. Spartan 2 says like. So I'm pretty cool if he says it too. Uh, so we landed uh, on Oumuamua like two months before anybody ever knew that it was out there. That's pretty hard to believe. But uh, he goes on to say, Our guys were on Oumuamua or whatever they call that thing. It's not a rock. It's an old derelict ship. At least that's what they told us. And we boarded it more and we boarded it months before anybody knew about it. So, yeah, the idea is that they sent this secret space shuttle that operates out of Antarctica up to Oumuamua, landed on landed on it well before it approached the Earth well before it passed us and their assessment of it was that it was a derelict ship so thoughts well i actually have an explanation of what they saw on it okay too. i found that okay so in, um, res in response so what did they see on it though well you've you've read the article too yes so yeah so basically did you mention that this is Corey Good? Oh, no. Please introduce Corey Good. So I think that that's it. Like for me, I always have to take something that Corey Good says or David Wilcox with a little bit of pinch yeah. of salt. Oh, huge, a giant block so, of salt. Yeah. I just like, for all of you playing at home, you know, this is entertainment. Yes. <laughs> like we're not. <laughs> Yeah, we're it's not really insomniacs. Yeah, insomniacs I'm not. There, I'm not reading this article because I'm taking it seriously. Yeah, you know, I just want to preface that. <laughs> yes. So, who is Corey Good, though? Well, I think everyone knows Corey Good is. He he is the one that claims about the, the blue avians, and there's a lot of all that kind of stuff which he goes on about. Yeah, he's very big on Gaia. Yeah, him and David Wilcox before they both kind yeah. of rage quit. They're, yeah, like he's one of the OG ancient alien type people, basically. And uh, it, I showed a clip of David Wilcock uh, talking about the blue avian uh, aliens once and again in that same UFO series. And uh, 
Corey Good is the guy that's sitting next to him in that video. And apparently they've since, if we want to talk about drama, they've since had a falling out. Um, David Wilcock has actually kind of left the whole Gaia group behind, and a bunch of them are kind of upset with him, including Corey Good. So mm-hmm. I don't know that hating David Wilcock is really a mark against you, though. Kind of, it's kind of well. I just, I just love to meet him and get a feel for. Because when you when you look at him and hear him, I just instantly like my bullshit meter. Just goes <laughs> yeah. Off. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And so I'd just love to see if he could, he'd have the, like, the balls to lie straight to my face. Mm. Like, given, like, a proper, you know, bulleting. Like, he, if he can maintain it, like, you know, or yeah. if only, they can only maintain their story when they're... In front of an know, audience of people who are thirsty to who hear. Believe. Yeah, yeah, or exactly. that are asking them questions that they've already like vetted. Do you oh, know yeah. what I mean? Oh, I often wonder that about people like that, yeah. But anyway, so basically what happened in 2018, Good provided a detailed description of what he saw in a video showing to him and others attending a briefing concerning recent covert space activities. Good wrote about what he witnessed along with the explanation by a former USAF officer participating in the briefing. The person leading the meeting then brought our attention to a large smart glass monitor that was lowered from the ceiling. Sigmund then stood up and said, I have a treat for both of you. He walked up to the monitor and stared at it while talking. He stated that they had been monitoring what appeared to be a derelict spacecraft that was headed towards our solar system. This would prove to be the same cigar-shaped asteroid that NASA and the mainstream media dubbed Amor Moore and publicised widely in this same time frame. Uh, Good next explained what he was told about a secret space mission sent to observe and land on Amor Moore. So that's pretty crazy anyway. So he's alleging that we already have the technology to do that when mainstream media says it will be maybe another our technology will advance in the next 10 to 20 years to be able to chase it down and land on it and actually figure out what it was. But he's claiming that we already did that before. We even even saw it before we even knew it was there. Yeah. You know, so it would have, this would have a little bit of salt maybe if he'd brought this out before, like Mm -hmm. that would have been impressive. Imagine he said that. (laughs) Oh guys. So there's this space object that's going to come. It's really strange. It's cigar shaped. We're gonna I've seen see. It. We're gonna see it in a few months. I've seen it already, and we've already been there with the space shuttle. And then a Muamua comes along, and it's described, and it looks exactly like they described it. Yeah, that would be very impressive. But the fact that he waited until it already came and left, and then a couple of years pass, and he's like, "Well, I knew about it first, though, guys." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't really. That doesn't really work for me. I know that's not like. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like anyone can make up a story yeah. about it. Like. So Sigmund puffed up and proudly stated, I led an expedition to see who this craft belonged to. Wait until you hear what what we found. Suddenly we started seeing all sorts of readings and telemetry on the monitor. I could also hear what sounded like an old NASA radio transmission. There were beeps along with a pilot calling in positions of his craft as well as the one he was trying to dock with. That lasted for about five minutes as I saw the two crafts spiraling closer and closer together. As the pilot marched, 
uh, as the match as the pilot matched the spin of the object <laughs> <laughs> they were approaching you could see a long cigar shaped structure that had tiny patches of what looked like ice on the outside it was obviously made of stone and looked as if it had been through many meteor showers and collisions the video broke to a scene where a few people who were suited up in spacesuits were pushing themselves through what looked like a bored out hole going down into the rock. Interesting. Uh, Good also described what secret, what the secret space program astronauts found when entering inside a more and more. The shuttle had docked with the mystery vessel close to what looked like a metallic oval dome which was sitting about a third of the way down its fuselage. It appeared to have been breached many times and was full of holes and dents from obvious impacts. In the next scene, you could see the men in a weightless environment with lights on their chests, helmets, and the I tops hate, of their wrists. I hate how he's describing a video. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to know about what the what our astronauts were wearing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. They, yeah, they split up and were talking to each other through the communication systems in their suits. One of them was chipping samples out of the icy residue on the floors and walls. This same frozen organic sludge was on the outside of the ship as well. It appeared like foamy, dirty lake water that had been frozen. The ship was obviously very ancient. It had been boarded and stripped of technology many times by unknown races. Sigmund stated that when they tested the sludge later, they determined that it was partly the remains of the original crew. Oh my God. <laughs> there were many panels removed from the walls, ceilings, floors, leaving empty compartments where technology was once located. Good went on to describe the discovery of preserved bodies of former crew members, the identity of an ancient extraterrestrial race they had belonged to, the craft being trapped in orbit for millions of years, and a hieroglyphic language found on the inside of the craft. So we're not talking tens of thousands of years. We're talking millions of years. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I got so to say, I don't know about that. the way he tells stories is very similar to the way David Wilcock tells his stories, very sensational. The way that he's describing what the crew of the humans were doing it's just like, yeah, then our guys got in there and they're like, pew, pew. They're like, oh, we jumped in. We're like rappelled down. I don't care. Just describe the ship. Yeah. That's all I care about. They are good at telling stories. Oh, yeah. They should be, make, they should be making movies. Right. Their, their books should be in the fiction section. I 100% agree. Because <laughs> <laughs> they do, the way they tell stories, you can see it in your mind's eye. Oh, yeah. No, and I think that that's... And I think that that's where, why they're so popular. Even yeah. when they just sat down and did those interviews with each other. Like, you could see what they were describing. Yeah, because they're very good at describing things in such a way that you can picture it yourself. I 100% agree with that. And they... Yeah, that's what, it, that's what makes them such good storytellers. And if you want to look at them as, like, some sort of form of meta storyteller where they're telling tales on, like, creepy pastas, if you will, where the sort of understanding is that you're supposed to let yourself believe it even though you know it's not true. You know, you know, I can I can see on that level them being pretty entertaining. Um, I don't really understand their following, though, because they've got very fervent followers that absolutely believe everything that they, that they tell them. 
I guess it's like anything though. Like I think that the extraterrestrial thing, it's just another incarnation of religion really. You just mm. want to believe in something greater. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. aliens absolutely have replaced angels in our... Uh, yeah. We do want to believe that there's something greater out there that exists that's watching us and that is so like waiting for us to reach a point of like enlightenment as it were before they mm. can actually interact with us and that's not really too different from what angels are supposed to be and i think it's fun too to so i like suspending my disbelief mm. and believing for a moment because well, that's fun that's like what movies there's a whole entertainment industry just designed around that you know suspending your disbelief and allowing yourself to be to believe in something well i think that that's actually the greatest lesson you've taught me because if you look at specifically the big mothman video those are the two videos where i really let myself believe the most i really yeah. really got into believer mode with those and there were even days when i think i called you up and i was like patrice <laughs> this is a real bigfoot talking about the patterson gimlin film like this is a real bigfoot i'm looking at a real bigfoot right now so like i really yeah. i really got into it and um you know the i think that you're right like they're they're there is like a benefit to allowing yourself to sort of fall into a, a stream of belief, like letting yourself believe something that even if you know on some level is kind of silly and just really getting into it because you can't properly explore it. You can't even understand how it could be real. Like if you just outwardly dismiss it, if you dismiss, if you dismiss it before you even explore it. So you need to sort of understand why people even believe it before you can even properly debunk it because sure um you can come up with good skeptical explanations you might be able to come up with one or two decent occam's razors to sort of explain it away but that doesn't change the fact that there's people out there that believe it that doesn't change the experiences people have had when they've experienced it um you can debunk it all you want but the person who said they saw it is still going to believe it because they saw it you know um, we're getting a fair few emails through, so that's really that's really good. I'm happy to see that. But I just wanted to remind everybody, if you've just um, joined us as well, that if you do have any kind of stories that you'd like us to discuss mm -hmm. or um, read out for you, you can send us through an email at fullmetaltuxedo at gmail.com. Yes. And um, um, Yes. Uh, once again, the, the best, fastest way to get your comment or question or story on the air is to send a super chat through the live stream here. Um, that's the fastest way. Again, uh, you can send us an email at full, uh, fullmetaltuxedo at gmail.com. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, we have to vet all those. We have to go through all those now. So we'll have to uh, talk about those in the next episode. Um, unfortunately, uh, we're not quite at uh, full capacity here. We didn't expect... Uh, we didn't expect it to get so popular so quickly. We thought we'd get a to few. Be taken down and yeah. to also be down. Oh, yeah. Me talking to myself for more for an hour and then not being <laughs> able to bring myself to do it again. <laughs> yeah, that was a little bit frustrating. It's, it is a little unfortunate that our first uh, foray here was uh, a little bit of a, a, you know, we had a little bit of a stumble <clears throat> to begin with, a little bit of a disaster. I'm happy to announce, though, that I am a fully-fledged YouTube astrophysicist now. Oh. Very good. Uh, after going over that, <laughs> I wrote learn now. <laughs> well, I'm impressed. I'm very impressed. 
Um, is there anything else about Oumuamua that you'd like to talk about before we head out for the night? Not really. I think that that's covered it. I don't know. I reckon I'm going to watch this carefully to see if they do hear anything back from the... Uh, they've been trying to listen to it and it's not giving them anything. So if it is a derelict spaceship, it, that makes sense. If it is just a rock, then that makes sense too. Yeah, I guess... But it'll be, you know, short of this uh, Corey Good testimony, it'll be interesting to see when technology advances to a point where we can chase it down and see what it is for real. Be interesting. I hope it's within our lifetime. I guess, like, um, ultimately, that's what it comes down to, is that the natural explanation doesn't make sense, but that's only just because we have very little understanding of what nature is like outside of our solar system. And we don't fully understand the circumstances that led to the creation of Oumuamua as we witnessed it. But then also we can't dismiss the possibility that it was intelligently designed just because um, it's so, again, so wildly different from what we expect from nature. And the way that it behaved could be explained either way. It could be something very bizarre, like... I mean, the very fact that it made it to our solar system at all meant that something catastrophic or ex extreme had to have happened to launch it here. So maybe whatever it was that launched it here is what gave it its shape, is what it's yeah, like a, and a even, piece of a broken planet. Even like planet. a collision, a collision yeah. could spin it, I guess. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know much enough about it to say that that's what I think it Well, is. if it came from an asteroid belt and it bashed against a bunch of other asteroids on its way out, then, you know... It, that could be the broken piece of a planetoid or planet or something. Um, I mean, I guess just the UFO thing is fun. It's this fun theory. And um, of, I would say of all the things, of all the stories I've ever been told, all the videos, you know, that all that said, the, the thing that has brought me closest to believing that aliens are possible is a muamua, believe it or not. Mm. Well... Because you don't believe in physical craft. I don't know. I don't. So I guess, though, this is a physical object. This is a physical craft. Yeah, right. So, yeah, it would. it is like literally a physical, unidentified floating object. So, um, I mean, I think... Well, misunderstood yeah. floating object. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is very interesting, though. And I think that yeah. it, it leads, leads credibility to the possibility that, you know, there could be something from another solar system that was intelligent. Mm. And I think that's pretty cool. I love the prospect of that. I'm an, a UFO believer. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> there has to be. And I, I think that everybody, I love hearing about people's different experiences and, you know, because even if one is real then it means that anything could be possible and i think that that's what i love so much about that phenomena is that not everyone can be lying so they either saw something or they think they saw something yeah if if even and both both are as equally interesting if even just one ufo uh sighting was real like betty and barney hill if just they were real or just like you know there's a famous ufo story uh too in canada uh they actually made a commemorative coin about it 
the uh, the witness, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, got knocked down by the UFO and they, there was a grid pattern of dots on his chest and he died uh, very shortly after they found him. Mm. Um, so that's like a, that's a very interesting story. It's like, so if even just like one of those stories is true, then that means aliens are real and they're here. Yeah, spoiler alert, um, this season of Tell Me More on Armored Skeptic is very alien-centric, oh, isn't it? lots of aliens. I, I, we held off on the aliens again at first just because I don't really believe the alien thing too much. I'm, I'm pretty... Uh, not that I'm disinterested in it, but I'm just not very convinced by it. But I figured, like, if we're going to go aliens, we're going to go hard on aliens. We're just going to do, like, a whole we're season. We're going full alien. Yeah, full alien, man. We're going a whole season of aliens. Um, okay, so just before we leave, there's two more super chats here. William uh, Apodoca, I'm sure I just butchered that name, says, I live in North Carolina. I've spent a lot of time in the woods. My family comes from out west, from Wyoming and New Mexico. There's stuff out there. Thank you for the super chat. Kanye line. West. Kanye West. Kanye and West Star is. Out there. Oh, no. No. <laughs> in Wyoming. Oh, no. We weren't going to talk about <laughs> current events. That's, no. that's not po politics, <laughs> that's, hopefully. No, that's, te that's technically not politics. <laughs> Though Kanye West was running for president, wasn't he? Uh, and Josh Sissio says. It's God's fellatio. All right. Well, that is great. Excellent. That's a great... We're going to end the stream now. <laughs> uh, thank you for joining us, everybody. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. I'm sorry that the stream screwed up twice. And we basically had to restart twice. Um, hopefully, we were able to retain most of you. Again, this will be uploaded to Armored Skeptic More. Um, make sure to go to the, the old Armored Media channel. <laughs>